Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to It's a Good Life. I'm your host, Brian Buffini, and I am excited for you today. Today's guest, I will honestly say, is the most unusual way I ever procured a guest on our show. And it started out by me shoplifting. There it is. I'm confessing to a misdemeanor. So let me kind of give you a little background here. Last October, I was down in uh, Nashville to do one of our masterclass events. And I also did what's called the Ramsey Gauntlet. So my good friend Dave Ramsey has a beautiful campus down there, 1,000 employees. There's about five different shows. There's Dave's show, the Entree Leadership Show, Ken Coleman, all of these different shows. And they also have what's called the Ramsey Devos, where someone comes in once a week to speak to the staff. So David asked me to speak to the staff, and I was going to do the five shows in the Ramsey family of networks. So I did this uh, presentation, which seemed to go down very well. We had a great time. I did all the different shows. And in between, I think, show number three and number four, I went up, and, and Ramsey's is now set up so people come and take tours, and people who've been following Dave's debt reduction program for years, and they'll come in and shout, I'm debt-free, outside the studio, and all that kind of stuff. And they have a coffee shop, and then there's a bookstore with all kinds of little goodies. Now, <laughs> we have a smaller version of this here at Buffini Company, and when we have people take tours, it's kind of a, we have little books we give away and little stuff we give away. So I come walking in, I get a cup of tea, and I'm going through the Ramsey bookstore. And I'm picking out this and I'm picking out that. I didn't realize it was a store. And so my brother turns to me <laughs> and says, and I'm walking away. I have a cup of tea. I got three books under my arm. I think I had another Dave Ramsey cup and whatever else in a little bag. And Terrence like, um, he turns to the lady. She's about 20 feet away. And she goes, yeah, I'm sorry. He's a guest speaker, but he's a kleptomaniac. And so... <laughs> One of the books I stole that day. So then it was awkward. And then she's like, oh, no, no, Mr. Buffini, we're so happy to have you. Please take it. But I'm sure she had a story for her friends later on. I had this millionaire fell in here this morning stealing stuff out of the store. But one of the little books I picked up was called, uh, and if you're watching on the YouTube, you'll see it right here. It's Redefining Anxiety. And it's Dr. John Deloney. It said what it is, what it's not, and how to get your life back. And I read this. When I got back to the hotel that night, and that's the beauty of it. It's a little one-day read. And I've done a lot of work on this subject. I've recorded podcasts on this. I've done, you know, we've interviewed a lot of psychologists and specialists. And this is some of the best stuff I found on the subject. And so today, following up stealing his book, I thought I could do him a good turn. And we actually invited the author, Dr. John Deloney, onto the show. He's a best-selling author. He's a mental health expert which I think it's, I don't need to stress too much how much that's all needed today. He has two PhDs, which means between us, we have two PhDs on this broadcast this morning, two decades of experience in counseling, crisis response, and higher education. And John has a goal to help people navigate through tough decisions, improve relationships, and help people believe that they're worthy of being well. John Deloney, I'm sorry I stole your book and you didn't make any money on that that day but I'm really glad you're joining me today. Hey, man, I'm, I'm grateful for the time with you. And listen, when this podcast's over, um, if you if you are struggling financially, I'll, I'll be willing to help you out. Uh, <laughs> my boss, Dave, here. And when my kids can't go to college, I'll, I'll remind them, this one man, Brian, stole her book. And, <laughs> stole yeah, the book. Good. I'm glad you got a hold of it. Anyway, I'll tell you, it's the best book I ever stole. I'm going to tell you that right now. 
<laughs> so before we uh, dive into redefining anxiety, and I, we have another book we're going to do another show on that is just coming out. But this is, look, I work with a lot of people. We coach tens of thousands of people. My kids are all in college. Our house is the hub. We probably once a month have 100 young adults from college over at our house. And all I hear, the word I keep hearing is anxiety. It's everywhere we go. I think people were anxious before. I think the culture's made us anxious. I think COVID and lockdowns and all the stuff that's going on and the cultural changes that are taking place in front of everybody's eyes, there's anxiety everywhere. And I just think this is profound stuff and the perfect message at the right time. You know, I'd love you to give a little bit of background on yourself, you know, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? How'd you get into this line of work and find, you know, this is a calling for you? And I'd love to give the folks a little bit of your background. Yeah, you bet. So I, I, I was born and raised in Houston. My dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator. So if someone had a bomb or was going to jump off a building, I've got these memories of my old man. When people were running out of a situation, he would put on his bulletproof vest and he had this little cockamamie grin and he would go in. And that I just understood that's what you do. So when the building's on fire, you should go in. And then I had a mom and her, I still have a mom actually, she um, was not allowed to go to college. And so her, in her ecosystem, um, women had one job and I was to stay at home. You don't need to be at work. And so at the age of 42, my dad transitioned from being a police officer. He was always working with youth in communities and he joined a large church to run the youth program. Just, I mean, I'm talking about left turn. Wow. My mom. Hostage time, well, no, hostage negotiation. It's very yeah. bastard. I can see a lot of connections there. Yes. And dealing with um, nonsensical church mess. Yes. He was very, very well versed. And bulletproof, bulletproof vest was in both jobs. Right? Yeah, right. And my mom took her first community college class and she took another one and then another one. And then you fast forward. My mom just resigned this year as a 72 year old chair of an English department. She ended up with her PhD. She worked at Enron, worked all these places. So here's what I, I saw growing up. Two major lessons. Number one, if things are on fire, you go in. That's just, you go make sure people are okay. And it may cost you yourself in the process. That's part of doing community. The second thing is, is it is never too late to start completely over. And nothing in your previous life is ever wasted. And so if you are 30, 40, 60, 70, I don't care what age you are, there's never an excuse to not dust yourself up and grab community and say what comes next, right? So then I was got hired by my good friend Randall Dement hired me as at, at a university and I started my work in student conduct and student housing and things like that and became a dean of students at multiple universities working with law students and traditional students and grad students and it just over the last 15 years I've watched my students change I've watched their families change most importantly throughout all of this Brian I was making more money my wife and I she's a, a fancy pants researcher scholar herself making more money than my granddad could have wrapped his head around. I was in hospitals 24-7. I didn't sleep. I was always running and running and running and gunning. And all of a sudden, all of the this path that had been laid out, here's how you grind and crush and, and go kill it and drag it home, that kind of stuff. My body started saying, we're out. And I didn't know what that was. And so it came out as anger. It came out as, you guys aren't listening to me. It came out as frustration or y'all are looking me past me for jobs. But, Really, it was the seeds of anxiety. And I'll never forget, by this time, I was so paranoid. I, this went on several years. I was paranoid. I was getting my job done, but I was a mess, man. I was like being married to a taser. 
And ultimately, I uh, got in my car and drove to another city. Um, that's how paranoid I was to meet with a friend who was an MD and just said, I'm not okay. And then I ended up going back to grad school. He walked alongside me and I, I had to know what happened to me, what happened to my friends, what happened to my marriage, what happened to my students. And that's the, ultimately I got a second PhD in counseling trying to figure this thing out. Mm. I, you know, boy, we could just spend all day with uh, your opening statement <laughs> yeah, here, but it's a mess. I would say this, you know, I think I just heard three of the most powerful words there are, and it's, I'm not okay. And I really think, especially, uh, you know, for men, you know, I think women are more comfortable with this. They tend to form quicker, deeper friendships and, and discussions. And, but I think a lot of men have the John Wayne mentality. I'm supposed to suck it up, get it done. And if I have to go talk to somebody, it means there's something broken in me. And the truth of the matter is there's something broken in us all. You know, <laughs> that's the state of the human being. But ultimately, I'm not okay. I think that's the gateway to freedom. And, you know, for you, yep. And, and it makes sense, right? It makes sense that you had to drive to another city to find a safe space to talk to someone. Right. And through that process. And some yeah. of that was a delusion, yeah. Brian. Some of that was sure. a delusion. I had people who loved me of course. in my yep. community. I just wasn't able to see them there, right? So you get on this journey. And I would say this. I spoke to the National Association of Psychologists maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And there were 10 or 12,000 psychologists and psychotherapists in this thing. And I don't know why I was even there. I can't even tell you why I took the speaking engagement. And I don't know why I was there. But I remember doing one thing when I came away. And my wife said, how was it? I said, well, I had lunch with a bunch of people afterwards. And I said, it seems to me that everybody in that room got into the business because they're really screwed up. Like, it seemed like the reason they went into that line of work <laughs> was to try to figure themselves out. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, so... On your journey, you figured out a few things. You're, you're in a very different place in your life today, very much at peace with yourself. And I don't know that you ever conquer this stuff, but on your journey to study this and you end up getting a PhD, what are the, some of the things you learned on your journey that helped you go from paranoid, being a taser, to kind of being where you're at today? If I could distill it down into one simple statement, it's that anxiety is not the problem. It's... It is simply an alarm system letting us know that one of three things, we're disconnected. Our bodies have found ourselves alone. And if you think back 2,000 years ago, if we were to open our eyes on the plains of North America and our tribe had left us, we were probably going to die. We got wired into us that we have to have other people. And so that's number one. If you find yourself lonely, and by the way, we live in a world now we've outsourced all of our human connection to these dumb little digital boxes. And so we're ex exchanging communication with one another. We're exchanging information, but we are not connecting. So it's either. And we also mandated these things. I, I have a, f a good friend of mine, Irish guy, brilliant guy, went to Australia, built a business. They have the harshest, most stringent lockdown measures, it seems, anywhere in the world. He talked to me the other day and he called me and he said, Brian, I had to reach out. I'm suicidal. And my best friend just committed suicide. And he's like, you know, talk about disconnected. It's a forced disconnection. So we have the digital disconnect, and then we had forced disconnection. I just did an event in Anaheim here a couple of weeks ago, and we're in California, and it's not the greatest with the policies here either. And I'm going to tell you this. I had about 1,000 people in a ballroom, and these are people who've been to many, many, many events with me, and it was like trying to reteach people how to connect with one another. 
By the way, at the end of the event, these people were on fire because they kind of remembered. Their bodies remember. Their bodies right? I mean, remembered, and, yeah. And, and, and let me tell you this. Um, I'll do you one better. I was on an interview the other day, and somebody said, hey, is this trauma on par with what happened to us at 9-11? You know, we were impenetrable. We were the great big nation, and then we got knocked down by 19 dudes in a couple of airplanes. And I said, I actually believe this trauma is worse, and here's why. When that happened, we had a, we had a perceived common enemy, right, wrong, or indifferent. We said, those people. For the last two and a half years, the narrative we've received is your grandma might kill you. That right. little kid playing ball down the street, he might kill you. Or your you neighbor might kill might, your grandma. You might kill your grandma. Right. And so what got weaponized was human interaction, which is oxygen for us. And so if you're not feeling anxious these days, you should probably go see somebody because <laughs> your, your alarm system is malfunctioning, right? Okay, so... Here's the thing. It's either your alarm system's recognizing you're alone, you're in a situation that you are out of control. You don't have autonomy. You can't control what's coming tomorrow. And that's, you're talking about the lockdowns. You're talking about laws are changing. Social fabric is changing so fast. Our body recognizes, hey, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm out of control here. And then the third thing it looks for is safety. Am I safe? And over the last 24 months, if there's been one meta message, it's we're all going to die. And we're all going to kill each other. And if we don't kill each other, it's because that person, it's just been this mega, you're not safe. And if we look back 15, 25 years ago, the media infrastructure shifted to go from passing along information to generating eyeballs, right? The attention economy, we all know about that. But it became about, hey, I want to pass, I need you to click on this, not learn from this. And the way I can get you to click is if I can tap into some ancient tech in your brain that lets you feel like you're not safe, that that guy's going to get you, that that group of people hate you, that you should hate them. And we have just created a fear economy and our poor little brains, our brain, our brains are designed for this. We open our eyes in our cave and there's a tiger at the front of the cave. And we look at it and it says, run, pick up a stick and hit it. Or just freeze. And maybe it'll just eat your leg off and you can survive another day. It's not designed for a thousand tigers in our bed with us, 24-7, 365. And we just rattle in them. We're, we just are melting our poor little brains. It's not designed for the world we've created for it. So I would imagine there's 465,000 people listening to this going, uh, he's talking about me or someone very close to me. And I love this. You know, the anxiety is not the problem. It's an alarm system. So it's it's actually a blessing. It's like the little red light on the dashboard. It's a gift. Yes, it's a gift. Change your tires, change your oil, your coolant is low. It's a feedback system. You're either disconnected, you feel out of control, or your safety is being challenged. And as we know, sometimes it's reality, sometimes it's perceived. So let's say somebody is dealing with all three. What's the first step to helping somebody get to the point that the right now action steps, as you call them, to kind of get someone on the right track to start moving things towards a new stabilization of all of these things. The first thing is to be really graceful with yourself and just ask yourself, uh, be curious, right? What do the alarms try to tell me? Where in my life have I let my friendships go? Am I sharing a bed with somebody who I love, but I feel completely alone in this bed, right? Um, have I disconnected from my kids or are they disconnected from me? Where am I alone? Where am I out of control? Where am I not safe? And that could be a toxic work environment. That could be you owe somebody six figures worth of debt and your body is telling you we're not safe right now because we're leveraged too high. 
um, or you don't have enough, you just quit your job to go full-time as a real estate agent and you don't have enough clients and you jumped probably a little too soon off the dock and your body's letting you know, whoa, 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 whoa. And so just be honest. This is a season of reflection. And here's the thing. I, when I was, when my alarm got to where it was broke, we've all been in a hotel room where the, uh, the alarm gets, I mean, the smoke alarm goes off when we steam up the shower, right? It's not, it's just too sensitive. So often the greatest gift you can have for this type of reflection is community, other people. And our community, I've got a few people in my life, a few men and women in my life that have cultivated over 20 years, 30 years that I check in with and say, am I looking at this the right way? And they'll say, Deloney, you're crazy. Um, or you should probably go talk to somebody. Or yeah, you're exactly right. I often can't see it for myself. And I know that about myself. It's not a weakness. It just isn't is. Some people are 6'2". Some people are 5'2". I know for me, when I get stressed, I don't see things super clear. So I have a group of people that I that speak into my life. You know, it's interesting as you, as you talk about this, you know, one of the phenomenons we're seeing in the States, but it's happening in other countries as well, is what's called a great resignation. And the statistics from last year are really fuzzy. And it's the only economic, I, I'm, I'm hanging out with all kinds of economists all the time. God help you, you need better friends, man. <laughs> well, you know, people ask me kidding. to do predictions, right? So, no, but you're right. I mean, it's not, it, let me just say this. I'm, I'm I might add the only color in the conversation is what I'd like to say. <laughs> I'm always asked for predictions and what's going on with the market and so on and so forth. And, and everybody always has data points for everything. I have four or five different, like, world-famous economists that once a quarter I'm connecting with. Nobody has any answers for this. And we're looking at somewhere around, the numbers are fuzzy, between 32 to 38 million people last year resigned their jobs. I've got it, Brian. Yeah? I've got the answer. What do you think it is? Come on, let's go. What do you think it is? I think it's connected to what you're talking about here. I think some people are like, you know, this is the chance. Maybe I, my, my batteries are run down. I don't feel as safe in this work environment. I'm pulling out here. I, I don't feel safe here. And I'm pulling out here and I, I'm, I'm watching it. Some people are getting better jobs and things like that. Some people are taking the opportunity to go and find the purpose or the passion they're missing in their life. But I would say to you, there's a grand swath of people. So I'd love your take on it is one of the reasons I want to bring it up because there's no doubt to me, they're looking at this numerically. They're trying to look at this statistically. They're trying to look at this from an economic standpoint. And this is human. This is the soul. This is the heart. This is the mind. And it's right up uh, Dr. John Deloney's uh, <laughs> alley, you know? Well, I appreciate it. So I was a qualitative researcher, and I love my stats, and I'm a data nerd. Um, but I love the stories. I love the people. And I believe this is a migration event, a historical migration event, not an economic event. Um, I think back to 200 years ago. I've got two little kids. I've got my small community. I've, I've been married for 20 years. I've got my gang. And the thought of me saying to myself and to my family, things here are so bad, y'all stay here, I'm going to get on a boat and go, I don't even know where, on the other side of the world, and I'm going to give that a shot because it's better than this. That's what's happening. We have 30 million people who have just said, I don't know what's out there, but I can't do this anymore. And it's not a matter of, we're all a bunch of wimps, it's not, we're all... Our bodies cannot handle what our bosses are putting on us, the disconnect, the, and I'm not saying work hard, man, we work hard. I'm talking about the psychological look. Like my job is to make sure you look good, feel good. I'm in service to this nonsense. The 24 seven connectivity, the customer rules my life. 
this kind of, we've just got everything upside down. And I think our bodies have gotten to a point just like I did that day. And this isn't some fairy tale. This is my life. I was walking to work and I said to myself, I can't. And I turned around and thank God I had an old friend named Jeff who was a medical doctor. And I drove three hours away to go see him. I got another buddy who works at Napa Auto Parts. That would have been a whole different conversation if I'd gone to see that guy. He just would have said, hey, I got a 30 pack in the, in the car. We can go out there. But, but it was, I can't. I got to go get this right. And I think we've just, our bodies have said enough is enough is enough. And I'll, I'd rather go over there where it's unknown then stay here because I know what's happening. And we're, look, we're seeing in, on the real estate side of things, we're seeing a migration unlike anything we've ever seen. Not since the Grapes of Wrath and the Great Depression. I've heard about it anecdotally. Is this true? Is this really happening? That people are just leaving the coasts and well, coming in? Again, I think it gets down to out of control. I think if you look at the areas okay. where the taxes are the highest, where the restrictions are the most, where the COVID laws or mandates were imposed the highest, a lot of people have reacted to that, and they're flooding down to Texas. They're Tennessee. Here's the thing. A lot of New York accents in Tennessee. I'm, you know? I'm hearing them, man. It's a lot great. Of I love it. Californians in Tennessee right now. Come on. You know, and again, right. you don't, my wife was a Hall of Famer in the University of Tennessee, right? She's a Lady Vol. Oh, great. So I have deep connections there. Come on. I've watched that state transform in front of my eyes. That's right. And yeah. what's down in the midst of that and the economic boom towns that are now being established. Now, what is happening is people, for example, like California, right? We lost half a million people last year and losing congressional seats. And New York is losing congressional seats and Connecticut's losing congressional seats. And again, people are saying, oh, it's a warm weather, right? They explain it. It's a warm weather thing. No offense. People aren't leaving San Diego to go to Houston for the weather. <laughs> okay? Just so you know. Right. Just, so can I, I ask I you no this? Ro- before, before COVID, it felt to me like a, a I don't say awakening because it sounds like woo-woo mumbo-jumbo. But people were starting to ask the question, does my life have to be like this? Do I have to, like, I'm in Manhattan, and yes, it's cool, but there's only so many cool, hip bars I can go to or so many cool, hip, fancy meals I can have for this $7,000 a month rent when I could just go to Kansas. And I may only go to one bar a month now, but good God almighty, I can sleep. You know what I mean? And I can have real friends and we can have potlucks. and what. So it feels like, this thing was a great revealer that just said, I don't want this life anymore. A tipping point. It's a, yeah, it, yep. I think it was a tipping point. I think it gave people an excuse to make a decision to pursue a different job, a different purpose. There was some economic stuff where the government came in and, and get, gave some aid that helped people make uh, transitional uh, decisions. I think it was the necessary nudge. And then there's structural things such as work from home. You know, we're, we're having a great chat today via technology. Right. We're looking at each other. We're connecting. It's interacting. It's, you know, I, I, this whole desk, we had this thing set up in here, spent a lot of money to build this beautiful studio. And this desk is an interview desk like they have in all the TV shows. <laughs> I think I've used it twice right. like that. Right. And so some blessings come out of it. And at the end of the day, you know, sure. I think it's been a societal thing. I think a lot of people are doing it. However, this is important. And this is one of the things I counsel people. If you got a bottle of sour milk and you put it in a new refrigerator, it's still sour milk. Wherever you go, you go with you. That's right. That's my mother said. Everywhere you go, there you are. That's right. right. That's right. And so the dynamic for me is we got to get the major stuff right because just so you know, Tennessee is nice, but it ain't heaven, right? You know, feel the drink. <laughs> Florida's nice, but it ain't heaven. You know, people are leaving Illinois and going to Indiana. Guess what? They got snow in Indiana too. So That's right. maybe we can talk to the root cause. 
that if people are going to make a decision like that, they make it for all the right reasons. So they're not running. Go to something, not from. That's right. That's it. Right. That's it. So let's just talk a, a little bit about that. You know, you talk about slow down and listen to the alarms. You talk about learn to control your thoughts, yeah. breathe, eat, exercise, and sleep. Just in some of the how-tos. How does somebody go from a heightened state of anxiety, the world's anxious, they've clickbaited out, they've done the COVID, they were already having these thoughts, the government's doing whatever the government's doing, all of these different things, people are at each other's throats. You know, they go to Thanksgiving and there's different divisions in politics and it's just everywhere. So they've hit tilt. How do we get down from tilt? How do we go from where John Deloney had to drive three hours to see his friend to being the guy that calmly and comfortably communicates this message to other people today and found his purpose and passion and is doing it inside a pretty calm approach to things? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So I think the, it, all of it starts with the decision that I don't want to live like this anymore. And I, anxiety becomes an identity for us. It was for me. And oh, there's say that again. You got to say that again. Anxiety is an identity. I'm anxious. I'm having to deal with all this. Can you believe what they're doing? Can you? And I've got to check the phone. I got to check all the ticker numbers. I'm trying to chase down this demon that keeps moving the goalpost on me. And so to heal from being anxious, heal from depression, to heal from these things, you have to first say, I'm out. I'm done with it. I don't want to live like this anymore. Ruminations, worrying, they are an absolute utter waste of my time. As my friend says, he's a, he's a bank examiner there in Texas. And I was one time hassling him about economics and economics. And what about this? And if this happens, and he finally looked at me and he realized what I was doing. And I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I was just terrified. He said, John, I don't have a meteorite plan. He said, if we are literally <laughs> trading coffee and gold, brother, your neighbor will already have shot you for your water. So when we get, <laughs> when we get there, we'll deal with there. And yeah, so right. like this rumination, what about this? And what about, I can't believe I said that. And then what happened? You got to decide I don't want that anymore. And then you're going to have to go through the, what are the alarms trying to tell me? You got to be real honest. And, and Brian, we, we're terrible at this as individuals and as a culture of looking in the mirror and saying, my body looks the way it does because I haven't taken care of it. My choices about exercise and about honoring sleep and about putting my phones away and about calling loved ones and having people over for dinner, even if we're in a lockdown area and we have to do it on the front porch, all of those at the end of the day are choices. I'm going to work. S- got to take responsibility is what I'm hearing you say. I, responsibility is... Go- is is yes, that's the way Dave would say. I would say you got to take ownership. You got to just own it, man. Ownership. Just own it, and, and that's semantics. But take ownership and no, no, it's not. I get the difference. Like I get the difference. responsibility feels like my dad to like you're responsible for taking that trash out. Ownership is I'm driving this thing. This is mine, right? And I want people. Which, by the way, puts you back in control, right? Yes, 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 yes. Hey, and some of us, this is a biochemical fact, a physiological. You can get addicted to the cortisol and the adrenaline. The stress hormones. So some of us have to detox. It took me a year or two to detox to actually be able to look at a stock market ticker. That was one of my triggers that would send me into the spiral to see it. And my heart wouldn't take off on me. I remember laughing, Brian, as my heart would start racing as though somebody was chasing me with a hatchet. My, I would laugh and say, there's no, I'm talking to myself like a wild person in the yard. There's nothing happening. And my body was responding, run, run, right? And it was just realigning my head and my body and my heart back together. And I had to detox off that stuff. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that. So as a full-time adrenaline junkie, 
what happened for me, you know, I've done over 2,000 seminars and people come to the seminar for the juice. So they come for the very thing. I've been rewarded for being an adrenaline junkie. It's made me famous. It's made me wealthy. It's made me a person of influence and yet learning how to manage it. And so what happened for me was during COVID, I went from doing 200 seminars a year and then down to 100 seminars a year and then 80 and Who are that you? kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then came COVID and I did one seminar in two years and I'm having the adrenaline crash. So I've been working through that myself and trying to find a way through the other side. We've often painted addicts. When we think of addiction, we think of drugs, we think of, you know, sex, we think of the, you know, the big vices. It was hard for me when I realized I'm an anxiety junkie. I am a workaholic. I am a performance and achievement junkie. I need to outwork you so you will, t I need your praise or I can't breathe. I was an addict. And I think if we're honest, most of us are addicts in something, whether it's food or whatever it is, exercise, the good stuff can be bad. And if you're addicted to drugs in our culture, we'll put you in jail. If you're addicted to adrenaline, we'll give you a million dollars and call you a lawyer, right? And <laughs> hey, both of them are going to kill you, right? And so we have to be honest with ourselves. And and again, I'm not saying, I, dude, I'm as ambitious as they come. I'm wired up. I'm an excitable guy. I love it. What I really want people to know is that achievement, success, winning, um, sleeping with one other person and sleeping with one other person after that and one more drink, those things won't heal you. And I want people to win, and I want people to win big, but I want people to win whole and win well. And that means you got people who love you. That means you're safe. That means you are in an environment where you are have some shape, form, or fashion of control. And then, dude, then you can you can rappel off the edge of the world and go create something magical for your family and for your country and for whoever you want to be a part of, right? You know, in America, we're sold the eight-minute abs. <laughs> what about seven minute abs? That's right. Yeah. Right. I've spent eight minutes looking for my abs, <laughs> by the way. Um, but let's just say this, you know, I know this is a process and you're going to give the right answer, which is going to be, again, a difficult thing for some folks to hear. This takes time. But let's say your best friend is in a highly anxious state, just like you. And you were kind of laying out the roadmap to get to healthy and healing and whole and and getting back to just being God's kid, doing God's work, and blessing other people in their life. What advice would you give somebody? I'll, I'm going to speak from my heart here. Um, I've got a friend who's a close, dear, from best close as they come. And we were on the phone late last night and early this morning in a suicidal situation. And a uh, person's really, really struggling. It's, it's, I've done with, dealt with so much suicide and, and so many funerals and things that I've got a, a healthy distance between it. This one was hard. Um, this one is one that my wife even came and put her hand on my shoulder and she doesn't usually do that. Um, and here's the two things I told her. Number one is I want you to write down these thoughts and stories and get them out of your head and onto paper away from you. Thoughts and stories, right? Which is you cannot think your way to better mental health. And I know that sounds nuts. No, that's you brilliant. That's brilliant. It's a, it's a body process. When your body identifies fear or betrayal it has a cascade of chemicals it surges through to fight something or to run for something. And if you just sit there for the next 72 hours and think about it, it just it it's like putting Drano on a loop in your in your plumbing system. It'll eventually just eat through the pipes if you're just cycling that stuff through. I told him to write them down. I want him to demand evidence from them. Are these stories true? Are you really not a good dad? 
because I'm calling bullcrap on that. You're lying. You are a good father. So demand evidence from those things. So challenge the story. Challenge the stories. And I inserted myself because I've got accountability with him. Um, I'm I'm your community brother, and I'm going to help you judge these stories. And that one's not true. This one is. You screwed this one up. You screwed up bad here. It doesn't mean you're unlovable. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're not redeemable. You messed up. And this one's not right. So we're going to challenge those stories. And then I'm going to, if it's pathological, if I'm not okay, if I'm unable to go to work, if I'm unable to connect with somebody, I'm going to call a counselor. I'm going to be brave. Whether you're some tough billionaire dude or you are a single mom with three kids, I'm going to call somebody and say, I need to walk alongside you. I need someone to walk alongside me. And then I'm going to be about changing my relationship with my body and my environment. I'm going to call friends. I'm going to move. I'm, even if that's going for a walk, people think they hear exercise and they think they got to join a CrossFit gym. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's not. That's that's its own pathology, right? You got to move. You got to walk. You got to be intentional about what you're doing. Sleep. There is no. There is no um, mental health diagnostic in the world that does not include disrupted sleep. Sleep is indicted in all of it. Sleep. 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 That's in the. That's in this. The next book. Um, just really focusing on that. So I'll say, is there some basic? Put oil back in the car. Put some gas in the car. Put some air in the tires. Drive a little bit slower. Find a road that people aren't shooting at you when you're driving. Right? It's all about regaining autonomy inside your own body. And it sounds crazy. Can I give you one word, Brian? Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah. This is a word that changed it all for me. Practice. We somehow have decided that every moment, every second, every sexual encounter, every conversation with our kids is the Super Bowl. And if we miss this one, it's all over. It's false. We're practicing. And so when you're anxious and you want to be less anxious, you're going to practice being less anxious. There's no pressure. There's no. There's not a, a group of people booing you and it's going to tweet negative about You're practicing it. And we're going to slowly get better and better and better at it. It's funny you talk about the walk. For whatever reason, when I go walk by the ocean here in San Diego, I feel more than when I go to church or wherever else, I feel God's presence when I walk by the ocean. And I hear those waves and I smell the breeze. And that to me is just, that's church for me. I go to church, but I, I really get it at the beach. Mm, beautiful. And I go for walking. Yeah. And I was bringing my phone with me on my walks. So then I'd leave the phone in the car. So I go walk down my beach. And so the first step in my recovery was putting the phone in the car and going for a walk. The first couple of times, I'm not joking. Like, I'm aware of this stuff. I read on this stuff. I teach on this stuff. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I would walk halfway, come back, check the phone, and go back for the second half of the walk. That's right. I mean, That's like right. baby steps, like getting off the drug. Then I'd walk the whole hour and a half. But when I got to the car, like, I'd almost rip the car door over to make sure that the world <laughs> hadn't fallen apart without me, that my kids hadn't all died without me, that my wife hadn't got into some terrible trouble, that the financial things, that the the forecast went sideways, the Buffini company or the podcast has gone sideways. And now I'm in the spot where I'll do this and I leave the phone at the house. I go for a nice drive. Yeah. I go for the walk. I'm telling you, it took me a year to get to this. And I go for a walk. The whole thing takes two hours. Hey, what a brave journey. What a brave journey, brother. Listen, and we can roll our eyes and be like, oh my gosh, a millionaire struggling with it. Listen, that phone, here's what it gave you. It gave you purpose. It gave you second by second affirmation. It tapped into all our ancient bio, our ancient wiring in our mind. And dude, what you did is so hard and is transformative for you. 
your wife, your kids, those hundred young people that come to you and get a full present Brian instead of a distracted scrolling Brian. What a gift, brother. Way to go, I'll tell you man. Where it's shown up. You know, and I'm 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 really working at, at all of this. It's really shown up. I've had conversations with my bride of 32 years and my six kids in the last three months, I will say. And I'm doing this about six months. I've had deeper, richer, connected conversations. I'm the dad that my kids all come to to have the deep conversation. And just had one with one of my kids this weekend. And where they feel like they can talk to me about anything. And I realized, I'm like, geez, this is great. And I, I almost said to my wife, I almost voiced it. I'm glad I didn't. One of those things, I got the words back before they came out. Because I was going to say, man, our kids have really developed and matured that they feel. <laughs> that, that's I write, they've done well. They've really. And I realized that a stressed out, anxious yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian is not an easy dude to talk to. Or he whips out quick answers and responses. Take two and call me in the morning. Because I don't have time for myself. I don't have time for anybody else. Because I don't have peace of mind myself, I can't deliver that to anyone else. And so I will directly say that the technique was I stopped having my phone. I charged my phone by my bedside every night since I've had an iPhone. And now I charge it in the bathroom. So if I do wake up in the middle of the night, I'm not looking at whatever news up stories or stock update or whatever. It's just because it's too much of a hassle to get up and go get it. So I got the phone away from me in my walks and a few other things that I'm doing. Right. And here I am, having what is more invaluable to me than any millions or any deals or any planes and houses and everything else that I've ever had is the deep richness of relationship that I was missing out on. And even now I'm going, isn't it great they've changed in this way? Because what's happened is, and I just think, you know, you're talking about the thoughts and the stories, (laughs) and we sometimes live in our stories, and we get good at telling them over and over again. And then having someone to walk alongside you to challenge the story and go through it and then connect it into that community. Can I tell you something gross, Brian? Yeah, go for it. This, this is going to sound gross, and I hope, it, I hope it doesn't come across that way. If you become a person that people don't remember what you say, but when they were with you, their shoulders dropped and they felt seen, they will take their business back to you. They will tell everybody about you. So we don't get well and we don't do this for an ROI. But it does work that way. When you're an electric, electrified zapper fence, like a cattle fence, people will deal with you because you keep them safe, you keep them hemmed in, you keep the coyotes out. But man, they won't run to you. And when you what you just described, Brian, people will cross bridges, hell or high water to come be in somebody's presence who just goes, how's it going, man? Have a drink, sit down. And you just, you feel at home wherever you happen to be. That's a great gift. You might've become my all-time favorite guest. You just told me how to work (laughs) through anxiety, become a better person and get more referrals. I mean, come on, baby, (laughs) get more referrals. Where were you 25 years ago? And I was trying to figure this stuff out. John, this has been a pleasure. We can talk all day. And we're going to set up another interview because we want to talk about your brand new book. But I will say this. I am so glad that I stole this book from the Ramsey Corporation and walked away with a coffee cup too, by the way, which I drink out of every day. It is a short read, which I think is so, what is it? It's uh, 80 pages. It's thin. It looks doable. It won't make you anxious when you get it. 
Where, where can they pick this up? Where can we find copies of Redefining Anxiety? You can go to johndeloney.com or go to ramseysolutions.com. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. Okay, Ramsey Solutions, everywhere books are sold. John Deloney, this is a simple, quick, profound read. And if you've heard something here today that resonates with you, I, I think everyone listening to this today is going to be blessed by this and by your work. And we're very thankful that you went through the tough stuff to get to the good stuff. And out of that came some wisdom. Out of that came your version of the good life, right? Because the good life has some challenges in it. But when you come through the other side, that's what the good life looks like. And uh, this work here is special. It's been super helpful for me. And I know it'll be a blessing to so many people. So we want to thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for your life's work. And uh, it's really a blessing to a lot of people. Thank you, my brother. And I'm, I'm grateful that uh, you and I were talking off air. Man, you've, you've blessed some people in my life, and I'm, I'm grateful for the work you put out there. Thanks for bringing positivity back to our brains. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring the good life. Awesome. Like we say, somewhere inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering and difficulties. The good life is not always easy. It's not always awesome. It's got challenges, but that's what makes it good. And I hope today our interview has helped people get a little step closer to the good life. And I know reading that book well, and someone who's introduced me to the good life and someone who's uh, worked through, she's created anxiety and reduced anxiety in my life is my mother, Therese. She's the greatest of all time. She finishes our program every day, John, with a little Irish blessing. And I hope when people hear this blessing today, they picture the blessing of what it is. My mom is talking about the roads rising up to meet you, which means that your journey will be good. And the, the wind will be at your back, which means you got momentum. The rain soft upon your fields, which is the blessing the blessing from above to make what you do prosper. And uh, that ultimately, the ultimate end of all anxiety is for everybody to realize that God has us in the hollow of his hand. So we're going to leave it today to me, Mother Therese, to leave us. And uh, we're looking forward to having you back again, John. Thanks for joining us today. Over to you, Therese. Let's finish it off right. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.